Well, hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn into the book of Hebrews. Uh, before I get going in this, though, I want to just say a couple things. Um, first, I want to say, uh, if, if you came in this morning and you enjoyed, you're like, this is the first time visiting Holy Cross, you're like, man, this church has the best food ever. Uh, you can thank Colleen Murray. That is on her. I don't want to know how long she spent baking all that, but that is on her. So we're going to thank her because that's just awesome. So thank you, Colleen, for helping us all feel welcome. She's embarrassed right now, but that's okay because it was great. So um, if, you have, if you don't have a Bible with you, the text should be in your order of worship. We don't have an outline this morning as we normally do because my plan is to be out of here pretty quick. So, um, but it's good to have the Bible in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, there are some on that back table. Grab one on your way out. We want to give that to you. Because we think it's really important, okay? So, again, good morning, Merry Christmas. It's, it's awesome. I, I'll be honest with you, and maybe you're like me. I was coming into this place, and I'm the pastor, right? But I was coming to this place not super excited about being here. Um, because I'm like, oh, gosh. I'll be honest, like, what I thought was there was going to have, like, I was going to have to tell everybody to move up into the first two rows. Um, but there's a lot of people here. So, you know, that's awesome. Um, but it is good. It is good to be here this morning and celebrate our King. I, I love the way that those kind of traditional carols kind of help to form us and shape us and, and move us into a people's celebration, because that's what we're talking about this morning. Uh, we've been spending the last four weeks as a church kind of intentionally leaning into this day. We've done that through a, a multitude of different things. We've done that um, by identifying with those who first waited and longed for the coming of their king. Right? We talk, we've talked about the promises of the coming king from the Old Testament. Um, as, as well as we've tried to live into the fact that we wait, that we long, that we hope for his second coming. But today is not a day of longing. Today is a day to rejoice And not just because of what's under the tree. Uh, In the last four weeks, we have sung and prayed and heard words of longing, but today is a day to delight in the fulfillment of those longings. So if you have your place in Hebrews 1, as is our habit, I'd ask you to stand. Uh, We're going to just be reading the first four verses of Hebrews 1. God has spoken, and he has given us his word as a way to hear that that voice over and over and over again. And so let's hear it in that way this morning. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is God's word given so that we might flourish. Would you pray with me? Lord, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of craziness, we have come here to silence ourselves, to hear from you. And so we ask that you would speak to us, because if if we leave here only with some words from uh, some talking head, we are... We are to be pitied. We need to hear from you. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd open our hearts, that you would open our ears to hear and our eyes to see, and that, Father, by your grace, you would come and and preach your gospel to us, the great gospel of your incarnate Son, Jesus, who lives and reigns with you. And with the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And so, Lord, we, we ask these things in his holy and precious name. Amen. Have a seat. 
So if you're anything like me, and I know some of you are because I know you, I don't know all of you, but I do know some of you, but if you're anything like me, you aren't very good at celebrating. I'm terrible at celebrating. Uh, for instance, if you are a part of Holy Cross, you may not know this, but like the second week in October is our um, anniversary. That's, that's the, not like my anniversary, that's in May. The church's anniversary. That's when we became a, uh, a, a church, a mission church. And so we started in 2009, it's now 2016, it means we just passed our seven-year anniversary. Did anyone even know that? No, because I'm terrible at celebrating. Right? And so, it's not very good at it. But I think that's because of two things. The first of these, and maybe you can relate, is a deep-seated fear of true rest. Because you see, to celebrate something uh, is, is to be willing to cease from your labor and declare it good. That's just hard. That's hard for me. Because if I'm resting, that means I can't impress you. And if I can't impress you, that means that I think you're going to leave. That means celebration is just hard. So that's the first one. The second reason that I think, if you're like me, you have a problem celebrating is because of the suspicion that good things in my life are simply the precursor for bad things. Right? This is the other shoe is about to drop mentality. Some of you who are chuckling right now, I know you're chuckling because this, we talk about this. Uh, and you're not, you know, th- this, is, this is who you are. But that's what's great about today. That's what's awesome about today. We are forced to celebrate. And we are forced to celebrate not something we did, but something that was done for us. So what this day does is it invites us to rest in the work of God and it secures for us. This day, in fact, the coming of Jesus secures for us the good things of God. And so I just want to briefly let this passage of, in Hebrews invite us to this very thing. I, I want us to, to be led to celebrate. And if you struggle celebrating, my hope is as you leave this place, uh, it'll be easier throughout the day to celebrate. Because lest we get carried away by the gifts and sentimentality, let's just take a couple of minutes to be reminded of what the coming of Jesus is to us. Let's gaze on our King and celebrate. So here's what we're going to see this morning. It's simply this. That this, this baby in the manger is the revelation of God. It's the power and glory of God. And he is the salvation of God. The baby in the manger is the revelation of God. He's the power and glory of God. And he's the salvation of God. Okay? So, so that, that's what I want us to celebrate in this morning in the coming of Jesus. And we're going to look at these things in, the, in, in these verses in Hebrews because they speak to them so well. But here's the other thing about this. As we speak to them, what I want, what I want to kind of impress upon you is these are not theoretical. They are practical. Celebrating the coming of Jesus is not just something that we think about and it's a theory. It's a wonderful theory to think about. It actually has impact on us. Speaks to things we struggle with as people. So the first is that in the coming of Jesus we see the revelation of God. If you've got your Bibles out, look down at the first two verses. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he spoke to us by his son. Okay, stop there real quick. Here's what's going on. The Bible presents Jesus as God's fullest revelation. Not his only revelation, okay? All of the Bible is God's revelation of God, not just the red letters, okay? Uh, And all of it is equally so. What what I mean by saying that Jesus is the fullest revelation of God is that uh, Jesus, the coming of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, reveals to us the length at which God was willing to go to redeem people. Because we have a God of long-suffering in the Old Testament who's patient, and I know many of us don't think this, 
But that's probably because we haven't read the Old Testament, if we're being honest. What we see in the story of the Old Testament is a guy who's long-suffering, who's patient over hundreds of years, is, is bearing with a people who, who just turn away from him constantly, are never walking with him. But the lengths to which he would go are only revealed in Jesus. That the creator of all things would become creation, step into it to live in our place, to die in our place. What kind of a God is like that? The God that's revealed in Jesus Christ. God spoke through the prophets to the fathers. That's a way of saying in the past. In the past, he spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But now he's revealed himself fully and finally in Jesus. Now think about that for a minute. We are celebrating the coming of a baby and the bold declaration of the Bible that this baby is God's fullest self-revelation. Now, two things about this are important for us to get. The first is important because of our skepticism. Because you see, some of us in this room, and my guess is more than likely not a ton of us, but but a few, struggle with this idea of Jesus being the fullest revelation of God because it seems really narrow-minded, doesn't it? We live in a culture where it isn't popular to say that something's objectively true. To say that Jesus is the final revelation of God is to say that there hasn't been any since. That's really hard. It's just not culturally, we're we're just not culturally conditioned for that. We want to get multiple perspectives. And then we determine truth by adjudicating it ourselves, right? That leaves us in the position of judge, which is a very convenient position to be in. But we won't talk much more about that. Here's the thing, though. Jesus is here in this passage presented as the one through whom the world was made. So why is Jesus the fullest and final revelation of God? Why isn't it arrogant to say Jesus is that? Because he made everything. And and if you're the creator of something, you pretty much get to determine how that thing is supposed to run, right? I mean, think about it. If you determine today to leave this place and think, you know what? I think it would be better for my car to run on marshmallows. You can stuff your, your gas tank with as many marshmallows as you want. The creator of that car, the guy who built it, is going to have something different to say to you. It's not going to work. The same is true with God. Look, we may not like the truth, but it doesn't make it false. It just means we don't like it. To lay out the claim that Jesus is the truth, that he fully reveals God to us, is no more narrow-minded than the claim that you are the only one who can determine truth for you. It's just as narrow. The bigger question is not, is one perspective narrow or not? The bigger question is, who's more trustworthy to determine what is true? You or God? The second thing it tells us is that God wants to be known. And that is super important to us because many of us treat God as if he's someone we have to chase down. That he's someone who's kind of hiding from us and we have to go on this search to find him. But listen to me, God is not an object to study. He is a person. And persons are known when they reveal themselves. Only when they reveal themselves. It shouldn't be controversial. I mean, think about it. You you can't know me unless I tell you something about me, right? You You can know a lot about me. You can watch what I do, but you don't know me. You don't know the inner motivations of my heart unless I share them with you. Persons work like that. This is how relationships work. The amazing thing about this, the amazing thing about this God, in fact, is that he wants to be known. He wants us to know him. Imagine that. 
God wants you to know him, and that is part of why Jesus came. And so one of the reasons we celebrate this morning is that Jesus came to make God known. The second thing that we see is that he is the power, he reveals the power and the glory of God. Look down at verse 3, it says this, that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and upholds the universe by the word of his power. All right? Now here's what this means. That phrase, radiance of his glory, if you're, if you're, um, if you're Bible folks, like you really love reading the Bible and getting the Old Testament, you can take a note on this, all right? write it down in your bulletin, that that phrase, radiance of his glory, is the same word, that's the same phrase that was used of this cloud that would appear in the tabernacle and in the temple that was the presence of God. It was called the Shekinah, not the Shekinah. There's no I sound in Hebrew, okay? Shekinah. So it's, in, it's the Shekinah cloud. And, and that was where um, God's presence was. That was how the people knew that God's presence was with them. And then we're told that he's the exact imprint of his nature. Those are words that are used, they're the same phrases or, uh, or, or words that were used to talk about a tool that in the ancient world you would use to imprint the face of, a, of the king on a coin, To make a faithful representation of him. And the point of that is just that Jesus is the one who makes God visible. Lastly, though, it says that he upholds all things by the word of his power. This should be obvious, but but we probably need to point to this. The Bible teaches that the universe is not a machine. And I know that's really disappointing for some of y'all engineers. But it's not a machine. The Bible's not a machine. It is personalistic. The universe is upheld by a person, not by uh, impersonal, natural, indelible laws. Now, here's, this, here's why this matters as we celebrate. Jesus, this king that we celebrate, speaks power and glory into our weakness. You want to know a, a, a lie that I struggle with every day? Maybe you're the same. That I have to be enough. That I have to be enough. Can you relate to that? I struggle with it in relationships, that if I'm not enough for you, you're going to leave me. I struggle with it in ministry, that I have to be enough for this church to run and for for you all to be helped, that I have to be enough. I struggle with my relationship with God, that I have to be enough to keep him engaged with me, to keep him coming back. My guess is that you are, if you're here this morning, and if you're listening to me, you're probably here this morning, uh, you have similar issues because I'm not the only messed up one here. But this text tells me that the coming of Jesus is the coming of the only one who is enough. What it tells me is that I don't have to be enough. That I'm not and I don't have to be. The Bible teaches that we were made for dependence on God. Dependence on him. But that doesn't really help unless the one that we're supposed to depend on is worthy of our dependence. But the book of Hebrews here tells us that Jesus makes God visible and has the power to uphold Everything, the entire universe, from the spinning of an electron to the spinning of a planet, he upholds them all. So here's the truth. I'm not enough, and neither are you. I'm not enough for you, I'm not enough for this church, for my family, or for God. I'm not enough. But the gospel tells me that. But the coming of Jesus tells me that, and it tells me that I can celebrate it. Because I can celebrate it, because it also tells me I don't have to be, because he is. I can rest in the one who is enough. You will never truly rest 
I don't mean check out. I mean rest. You will never truly rest unless you believe that someone larger than you is taking care of you. Why do you think it was so much easier to be rested when you were a kid? With Christmas, we celebrate the coming of the one who is powerful enough for us to rest. Lastly, we celebrate the coming of the salvation of God. Keep reading in verse 3. It says, after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, let's stop there. There's a bunch here to explain. Needless to say, that that is echoing a lot of language that comes from the Old Testament dealing with priests. Uh, But when the Bible talks uh, talks about sin, it's talking about more than bad morals. Right? It's talking about way more than bad morals. I know that's what we hear. And in hearing that, when we hear that, that sin is really about bad morals, we find it very easy to kind of skirt around those issues, don't we? Right? Because we can look at someone else and go, well, my morals are, you know, they're, they're not great, but they're better than his or hers. But look, sin in the Bible is not about faithfulness to an ethical code. It's about faithfulness to a person. The Bible often, in fact, will talk about it in terms of a, a marriage relationship, in terms of adultery. And so whether you've committed adultery like once or committed it like multiple times with multiple people, both fracture a relationship, right? One's not better than another necessarily. So the Bible is clear that all of us have sinned because all of us have broken relationship with God. Now, some of us do that in immoral ways, and we, we kind of run our own way, and we do our own thing. But others of us do it through trying to be good enough to, to, for him apart from him. See, the immoral side says, I don't want anything to do with you. The moral side says, I don't need any help from you. But both are distant from God. And all of that in the Bible is called sin. Because all of that is a relational betrayal that brings guilt. But the gospel is that Jesus came to deal with that. And that's what this is talking about. Because if our problem is independence, and some of you have heard me say this a lot, if your problem is independence, you can't fix that on your own. You can't fix your independence problem independently. You have to rely on someone else. And that's why Jesus came. He came to live perfectly in your place. To be your righteousness before God. He came to die sacrificially. For all of our sin, whether that sin looks pretty or gritty, he died for all of it. Okay, with me? Now, here's the great part about this verse. It says, after he made purification for sins, after he made all things right, he sat down. What that means is that his work was done. Because in the Old Testament, priests don't sit. They never sit. It's a terrible existence. They don't sit. They they have to constantly be standing because their work is never done. Okay, now here's why this matters. If you lean towards the immorality side of things, right? You probably wrestle with feelings that God could never love you. If you lean towards the moral side of independence, you probably wrestle with the feeling that if you stop performing, God won't love you anymore. Right? Jesus is sitting down. That means that all of your sin is dealt with. If you have faith in Christ, you are pure. Not various degrees of that. Before God, you are pure. Not just what you've done has been dealt with. Not just what you're doing. But everything you will do is already dealt with. Which means you can rest. You can be still. You can stop striving. 
And know that he has made purification, that all of that is by faith. It is, a, it is given to you like the gifts that you're going to receive today. Or maybe you already have. You got up really early. You didn't work for those and you can't work for this. So come to Jesus and rest. Because with him on this day is the coming of our celebration. That's why we celebrate today. We celebrate today because God has made himself known. We celebrate because he is enough for our weakness. And we celebrate because he has made purification for us. We can celebrate because we can rest in the truth that though we have failed God utterly. With his coming, God has shown us he has loved us completely in Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, I'm just going to pray for myself and for my friends today that you would just let us celebrate. Help us. Help me. I need help. I need help celebrating the rest and to celebrate. My friends probably do the same, need the same. We need help leaning into the good things that we're celebrating today and not constantly looking out for the next bad thing. Would you, would you give us rest in knowing that you have revealed yourself in Jesus, the links that you would go to to save us, that you, have, you uphold all things. We can rest in your control of the universe. Would you give us grace to celebrate in the fact that you have purified us from all of our sins. For any Lord in this room who haven't placed their faith in Christ, I pray that you would work that on them now. Maybe they've been going to church their whole lives, but they've never placed their faith in Christ, constantly thinking they just got to be good enough. Would you shatter that illusion and invade their lives with with the grace of God in Jesus? We ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.